0: You know, I, I grew up uh, charismatic. You know, you guys have heard me talk about that before. If you guys don't know what that means, basically, I, I grew up where you'll sit and worship for four hours. And it's it just so, you know, any, any extra time I get to just sing and, and bask in the presence of God, I don't mind. I, listen, if it were up to me, we wouldn't get out of service at 3 o'clock. And uh, y'all yeah, be mad and I'll be just getting started, just getting started, go go around the corner, get a piece of chicken and keep it going again, <laughs> keep it going again, man. So, well, good morning to you guys. Uh, for our guest, man, my name is Jamil Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here and um, I'm so glad to have you guys here today. Uh, today we are in our third week of our series that we're talking about Through the storm. And it is our, our goal, our focus, to help to give you a proper understanding of how we ought to respond, live, and trust as we are going through things, as trouble comes upon us. And uh, I, I love the, the line from uh, Marvin Gaye, trouble man. You got to be 50 and up, by the way, for this, to get this. But for my, for my boomers and such, man, Marvin Gaye said, there's only three things, that's for sure. as taxes, death. I ain't got no boomers in the room. Man, trouble. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that must have been new to y'all too. It's okay. That's okay. If I was at a chocolate church, they'd still be singing it. That's just, that's what I know for sure. Well, listen, come on, man. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to the gospel according to Luke uh, chapter 13. And uh, we're going to read just five quick verses. And, of course, uh, it'll be available for you on the screen. This is what you'll find. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. I remember, man, back in in, in well 9-11, it happened, you know, 18 years ago. And, and I remember... Uh, the conversations uh, from some of the prophetic voices uh, in our world. And, and they, they, they would say that 9-11 occurred because of the great sin that's happening. And that it was, a, it was a, an act of God's judgment. Or since we're talking about storms, I remember in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans, the prophets spoke again, and they said, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and devastated it so much because of the sinful nature and atmosphere of New Orleans. And just uh, just a few weeks ago, as Hurricane Dorian pummeled the Bahamas, one particular prophet, she spoke up, and she says, well, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas, because God wanted to kill the tunnels of sex trafficking that's taking place in the Bahamas. And, um, and if uh, Jaden was here today, he'd say bull shark, and, uh, and I agree with him. There's, um, there's a theological term that, uh, that we study, and it's a word that's called theodicy. And theodicy deals with the question of evil in our world, and it it asks the question. It doesn't necessarily answer the question, but it asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's theodicy, man. when, When tragedy, when evil happens in our world, theodicy asks that question. It poses that question. It doesn't always perfectly answer the question, but it's a way for us to be able to think intellectually through and spiritually about the evil that we're experiencing in the world. But there's also a phrase, there's another phrase that, that deals with and poses or it answers the question about why does God get so angry with this creation that he eventually unleashes his wrath upon it. And that phrase is called bad theology. Bad <laughs> theology. Here's What that essentially means is that when you live and when you pose the question that God eventually gets so steaming mad that he just goes off on his creation, that there is an utter lack of knowledge about the character of God. So let me be clear about one thing, because I don't want to brush over this so that we'll feel like this isn't true because you guys are intelligent, You, you read and you see the signs every day. The reality is is that there is a wrath of God. God does have a wrath. And the issue is not whether or not it's true, but the fact that oftentimes how we view or have been taught about God's wrath is really inconsistent with everything else we know about God. That's why when you read the Old and the New Testament, when you view wrath the wrong way, the God of the Old Testament and of the New Testament seemingly look like two completely people. Anybody ever thought that? Like, there's no way the God in the Old Testament could be the same as the God of the New Testament because dude in the Old Testament is mean, and he's angry, and he's got issues, and he does things that I can't believe people call him good for. But that's because when you read that, it we've been taught oftentimes that, That is God's wrath, but that's inconsistent with who he is, and it certainly wouldn't be the same God who exists in the New Testament. And so there are, there are a number of things that you see, and I, I want to share with you a couple of quick things. Whenever you see God's wrath, let's take, for instance, uh, a story that we're familiar with. Uh, when, when Israel was delivered from Egypt and they're trekking through the wilderness, um, their wilderness experience was an example of God's wrath. They ticked God off, and, uh, and God punished them. Let's not say punished. He corrected them. And his correction was by way of their journey through the wilderness and route to the promised land. But whenever you see God's wrath, you'll always see three things prevalent at the same time. Y'all, y'all going to be with me for a minute? Can I teach you just for a moment? All right, the first thing that you're going to see, let me you say the word patience. Yeah, 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 good word. Y'all, y'all with me today? All right, so here it is. Patience literally in Hebrew, uh, it means uh, length of wrath. Which means not that God's going to beat you for a long time. No, no. It is talking about the fact that God is going to extend his grace upon you. His patience is him extending his grace so that you would hopefully come to yourself before something happens to you. This is the conversation between Jesus and these people who brought this story to him. And I texted. We'll see you in a minute. Let me, let me give you an example of this. My, uh, my uncle who just passed away back in November. Uh, I, I loved him to death, man. Uh, he, he had a nickname for me. Uh, my nickname was Tank. And, um, and the reason why, he said, is because it was hard to get me to stop whenever I got going. So, he called me Tank. I'll tell you why. This, this story here. Um, they they When I grew up, they lived in this townhouse. And you guys know townhouses. They're apartments or condos. They're two stories, right? And so, when you would go upstairs where the bedrooms were, there was, you know, a set of steps. And so, you go up so far, and then there was a landing, and you turn, and then you go up the rest of the steps. Well... When I was smaller, um, you know, in my elementary years, I figured it was my job to conquer the steps. And so after a little while, it didn't make sense to me why I got to keep walking down all the steps. So I jumped down each set of steps because it was quicker and easier to do. And uh, when I was about eight years old, uh, I I kept jumping because I was getting stronger. And so my uncle was a very patient man, and he would simply say, listen, um, Tank, I'm gonna need you to stop jumping down the steps because if you don't, you're gonna bust your butt. And uh, and I said, Uncle, oh, I got it, I got it, I, I'm fine. I you know i I can do this. Like I got skills. I do backflips and stuff. So jumping down steps is no big deal. And so I, I kept doing it each and every day. Every time I went over their house, I jumped down the steps until one day. One day, I'm feeling myself. I run out of the bathroom. And rather than taking my time and counting before I jumped, this time I just turned a corner and I just took off. And uh, this time, um, I I didn't bust my butt. I busted my head. (laughs) And I landed. And let me see, I was about 8. They moved out of there when I was about 15. Um, From that moment on, at that landing spot, was a nice-sized dent and crack in the floor where my head hit the floor that hard. That crack, in my opinion, was a reminder of the wrath comes when patience runs out. It wasn't that my uncle punished me. He did his best to try to correct me, but because I was insistent on doing things my way, eventually I had to feel the wrath of the floor. God's patience extends, and sometimes what happens is not that God wants to make us feel pain, but sometimes to bring up out of us or to have us to have the wherewithal to get out of something, God, the patience kind of runs out, and we've got to feel it. The second thing, say compassion and faithfulness. Y'all was a little delayed there. That's okay. Y'all catch up in a second. Here's what. uh, We we believe that... um, We've been taught that sin makes God angry and, and that's true, uh, but what you need to know about God's compassion and his faithfulness is God is not angry at you for your sin God is angry at sin. does that make sense? God is not angry um, I was watching a story and um, on, on on television and there was a father whose daughter was suffering tremendously from addiction and um, and Recently, she had robbed her parents of everything that she can get her hands on. I mean, things were gone. She completely depleted their bank account. I mean, you name it, man. Whatever she got to, she 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 took it all. You you see the father on TV, weeping in tears. And when they ask him what's on his mind, here's what he says: "I'm so angry." at the addiction that has my daughter doing this. He didn't say I'm so angry at my daughter because he recognized it was the addiction that's got a hold of her his daughter. It was not his daughter who was creating this issue. If a man, humanity, if we can look at things that way, then how much greater is God's compassion and faithfulness towards us? That when God sees sin, God looks at sin, and he does not say, you know what, I am so mad at Jamel because he's sinful. God says, man, I'm so angry at the sin that has infected my child. And I want that to be gone away. And biblically, when you see the term compassion, it literally means that God has a visceral movement of pain inside of him when he sees us suffering. And we all suffer at some point, in some sense, from the power and effects of sin. And it moves God viscerally. It's an internal pain that he experiences because of that. So there's his patience, there's his compassion and faithfulness, and then there is, say, forgiveness. forgiveness. Here's the thing what you need to know about your God. God is always ready to forgive. He, he's always ready. God, God, God is consistently and perpetually ready to forgive us. He's not trying to hold things over our head. That's what people do. God does not hold things over our head. He is waiting to forgive and waiting to wipe the slate clean. He wants to forgive us. In fact, I love it. Um, In Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13, listen to what the psalmist says. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us uh, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God is not trying to get you back. Whoever told you that lie, the one who told you that God is in heaven looking to judge you, to condemn you, that God does not exist. He is not looking to accuse you. Satan accuses. His name literally means accuser. God is not the accuser, He is the redeemer. And there is a difference between those descriptions. The rest of it says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And check this out. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east is from the west? Quick question. Quick question. Who knows? How far? It's inconceivable, right? It doesn't even make sense. And so, what the psalmist is saying is God removes our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions from us so far, it's almost as though they never existed. And so, if you're walking around with condemnation on your heart and in your mind, I want you to know, man, that that's not God who placed it, that that's the enemy, and it has no place in the life and in the heart and the mind of a child of God. God's removed that. And if He hasn't removed it. It's just because you've yet to ask him to forgive you. And God's forgiveness and love is not conditional. He's not going to say, hey, listen, if you do these three things, these ten things, and if you promise to never do it again. No, he says, listen, say, God, I'm sorry. Turn away. Give it your best shot. Repent. And I'll, I'll forgive you. A father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion over those who fear him. Here's what you need to know about God. God is faithful, and he's not waiting to accuse or repay you for what you've done, but to redeem and store. But the issue for many of us is how we've been raised and taught about who God is. We were taught that the relationship between God and man is purely transactional. Which simply means this, God, if I do this, then you'll do that. Or if God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And really what that looks like is though we were taught that a relationship between God is like quid pro quo. Right? You familiar with that term? If you do this, then I'll do that. A legal term. That is not your God. God is not looking for transactions between us. And when you have that, it actually cheapens the relationship. And God did not do what he did so that we could have something superficial and transactional. He did what he did because he loves us, and he loves us unconditionally. So God will do it even if you don't. That's what the gospel teaches us. And this is where those who approach Jesus in our passage today are. They they come to Jesus with this story, this this horrific event. They say, "Uh, Jesus, listen, um... what about about those Galileans in the temple who Pilate mixed and mingled their blood with the sacrifice? Here's what they're talking about. There, There was an event, man. Pilate is this Roman official who's over this region, and clearly he was after some of these Galilean men. And He went into the temple, literally into the temple, and he slaughtered them there. But check this out, man. You got to see the entire scene. The temple wasn't just like ours where you just walk through the door and you're kind of in the sanctuary. There were multiple levels that he had to go through, offending the traditions of Israel to do so. The Roman, Pilate was a Gentile. The Gentiles were only allowed to go on this small corridor outside the temple, and it was called the Court of Gentiles. And after you passed that wall, which at that wall was literally a sign that said, pass through here, and you'll be responsible for your own death. Basically, if a Gentile went through, we'll kill you. That was the warning. But Pilate and his Roman guard, they walked through the Court of Gentiles into the next layer, which is called the Court of Women. Is a huge court there. And then after you pass the court of women was the court of Israel, which really should be called the court of men because the women were on the other court. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah, that's just even within itself. And so there was the court of men, and after the court of men or the court of Israel was the court of priests, the inner court, where the sacrifices and where the incense were burned, where they sacrificed for the entire nation took place there. And there were only certain people, priests and certain people whom they may need in order to help with sacrifices who were allowed there. Pilate and his officials passed through the court of Gentiles, offending the tradition. Through the court of women, offending further the tradition. Through the court of Israel, still offending. Into the innermost court, to the court of priests, where if you go, you're supposed to die. And not only did he not die, he slaughtered the men right there. And here's what happened. When he slaughtered them... They had slaughtered their sacrifice, and their blood mixed with the sacrifice's blood. So here's what the people are saying. Those Galileans had to be pretty bad because it was clear that God was sending a message to everybody by letting them know, you're so terrible, you're so sinful that I'm going to ensure that everybody knows how bad you are and your sacrifice, you're going to be sacrificed with the rest for your sin as well. And when Jesus hears that, Jesus says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He says, well, if that's the case, then what about those 18 other people who when the tower of Siloam fell on them and it killed all of them, are they bigger sinners than the rest of Jerusalem? Jesus says, absolutely not. So in this story, man, a couple of things comes to mind. I think about, man, how they, 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 they made this, this offense by Pilate to be something supernaturally spiritual that people needed to catch the message And that thing is simply this. You got to be careful, man, when storms arise, when problems come, and people hyper-spiritualize things that don't always make sense. Because here's the thing. The situation that's taking place here is not necessarily about the sacrifice itself, but it's about their adoration for the temple. Because they made the temple to be something that it's not. They turned brick and mortar to be something holy and the brick and mortar really didn't mean anything because before Israel was allowed to build a temple, God dwelled in a tent. And what Jesus showed us when he came, that it's not about the tent. No, it's not about the brick and mortar. The true temple is in the humanity. It's in us. We are the temple of God. But they made the temple, the brick and mortar, to be holy. And so the asking and posing the question that, God, you must have been doing something because the temple is sacred. The temple is special. And let me tell you guys something. I don't care how much money we put into brick and mortar and temples and buildings and all those things. They are not holy. They are simple structures that are meant for us. Us to do things within them, but they within themselves are not, and so they hyper spiritualize something that wasn't in. You're like, well, What are you talking about, Pastor? Hyper spiritualization. Check this out. Um, you, you ever met somebody who, um, no matter what the situation is, they got like a deep response for everything? Like, you know, you know that it's kind of garbage, and you know that it doesn't really make sense, but they're like, Hoo-ho! God, you don't see how deep it is. You ain't peeping. With it. Y'all know people like that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're a walking meme, like, every situation. They received a word from the Lord. It took them to the third heavens. Like, they are just so deep, like, everything, man. Y'all ain't seeing what God is doing. Y'all ain't peeping, man. God is trying to tell us something. God's trying to speak to you, and y'all just ain't deep enough. Y'all don't get it. Y'all, y'all know people like that. Yeah, this is what those people are that Jesus is talking to right here. They're so deep. And Jesus is like, no, man, that's not what happens here. And if you don't be careful based upon your thinking right now, man, listen, you're worried about them when you need to be worried about yourself. Repent. Because something could be happening to you. Or, or not only that, not only about the hyper-spiritualization, but also, I mean, if you're going through something, and I want you guys to hear me this from my heart. If you're going through something, sometimes, man, things just happen. God's not always sending you a message. God, God's, God's not always doing something to you. Here's how it works, man. We've got some parents, all of us, man, I don't care, black, brown, red or white, whatever your color may be, whatever you claim. All of us have the same set of parents. And when Adam and Eve sinned in a garden, all of us were infected. The world was infected with this sin gene. And from the moment that the world was infected with the sin gene, the virus has spread through the entire planet. It impacts us. It impacts our environment. It impacts our world. That's what we are experiencing right now. And the reason why mainly that bad things happen, storms rise, issues are happening in our world is because the virus called sin has impacted us. But it is not that it is specifically you. God is not targeting you. God does not have a problem with you. God is not trying to condemn you. God is not trying to send you some specific message because you're so much worse than the rest of the world. And if you think that, let me humble you for a moment. Baby, you are not that special that God got to point you out to to isolate you from the rest of the world and punish you while he takes care of everybody else. That is not your God. That petty, vindictive, judgmental God that we've been told about, he does not exist. He is not out to get you. That is not your God. Sometimes things that happen not because you did something, but because sin is in our world. And some people will say, man, because your sin is in the world. Well, baby, if it's your sin, it's my sin too. Because sin is in the world. And because of that, sometimes sometimes things happen. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. When I was meditating, thinking about this, I just thought about, man, so many people that I've encountered over the years and probably why this resonates with them. Because we've been, we've been falsely taught about the character of God. We, we've been taught that if you were raised with this, this petty, judgmental, transactional God, and if that God exists to punish you for all of your bad deeds, then what happens... When a bad deed is done to you What happens when storms Come your way If that is God If God punishes bad things and bad people Then what happens when bad things and bad people Happen to you If God punishes you Then God ought to punish them Because that's what God does God punishes bad things God punishes bad people When bad things and bad people happens to me Then God is supposed to punish them But when God does not punish those bad things Or those bad people that happen to me Then perhaps God isn't real Or perhaps God doesn't care about me. And I've talked to people over the years, man, that's kind of where they landed. That clearly God doesn't care about me or God doesn't exist. And that comes to us only because we've been falsely told who God is. That character of his is inconsistent with who God is. And so, I, 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 wanna, I wanna show you guys something. There, Lex Luthor probably has the best description of this, so go ahead. Why do we have problems up here. Mm. Uh, the, mm, the problem of, of evil in the world. Uh, the problem of absolute virtue. I'll take you in without breaking you is more than you deserve. The problem of you on top of everything else. You above all. Ah, because that's what God is. Horace, Apollo, Jehovah, Calhel el Clark, Joseph, Kent. See, what we call God depends upon our tribe, Clark, Joe. Because God is tribal. God takes sides. No man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations. Mm. I figured out way back. God is all-powerful. He cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. All right, that was it. Yeah, so, don't, don't know if you all guys heard. It was a little unclear at times there, but basically, Lex Luthor says what we have here is a problem of evil. And he surmises that One or two things, that God, if God is all powerful, then he cannot be all good. Because in his mind, he says, where was God when my dad was beating me? So if he's all powerful, he cannot be all good. But then if he's all good, then he cannot be all powerful. Because if he is so good, then why does God allow these bad things to happen? And that's where I meant a lot of people land, man, in their reasoning try to understand this. And, and I get it because that, that's a valid point. But also, there are others who say this, that, um, that everything good in the world comes from God, and everything bad comes from the enemy. But when we do that, we always still have to come back to the point that if there is an all-powerful, good God, if bad things are coming from his enemy, from the devil, then why is he not stopping and winning over his enemy? So it doesn't answer enough, and then there's also the other part that says that there's a hidden purpose in your pain and in your storm. And so you may not see it right now, but God is doing something, and God is going to bring it to you eventually, and you're going to see the purpose behind it. And uh, I'm a believer, man. I I believe in that point. The issue with that is it still doesn't go far enough. I believe that there is purpose. I believe that God is going to reveal it to us. I believe in the power of Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. I believe in all of that. I just don't believe that it doesn't, that it doesn't go far enough because the issue with that argument is that with all of them, when we try to comprehend evil and God, we start at the wrong place. We start with the problem, we start with the evil, we start with the pain, and then we say, God hears the problem, and when I compare it to you, I don't see how it's adding up. I don't see how you could because of this. But in order to truly understand how evil and how storms work in our world, you should never start with the problem itself. You always start with God. Okay, you, you, you don't look like you understand. All right. Um, um, my wife and I today, we're celebrating 18 years, 18 years of marriage. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. She, she's a blessed woman. Yes, yeah, yeah, she is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so check this out. Check this out. Um, there's no way you could be married for 18 years without getting on each other's nerves. Right? Right? And, and here's what I'm going to say. Um, there are a lot of things that I do that literally drive her crazy. Sometimes I do it on purpose. So, some things I do on purpose. Uh, but, but check this out. Um, um, those of y'all know me know that, that I, I love the smoked meats. It's one of the things I do in my pastime. And so uh, when I cook, um, it looks like a storm has gone through our kitchen. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I wreck it. Like, it's, it, just, it looks real bad. It looks, looks, looks real bad. Like, it's, you know. And, and when she cooks, like, she cleans as she goes, which doesn't make sense to me. I'll clean when I'm finished. And um, and so it used to be that she would clean and come behind me for everything that I'm doing, and she'd be cleaning up the whole time. And so finally she's like, you know what, I can't take it no more. I'm not even coming in there. I'm not even going in the kitchen. I don't want to see it. Like, I ain't saying nothing to you no more because clearly you don't get it. Like, you know, so she just kind of takes that approach now, and, and I understand it. So, so check this out. Um, it's, it's a real issue for her because she, she's, she's a little OCD. So it's a big deal for her. Like she, she can't take that mess, and, but it's not a big deal for me. And, um, but if, if she were to look at it because it's a big deal for her, and if she were to start with the mess, here's what it would look like Jamel knows how much that aggravates me. He knows that I, I'm OCD, he knows that I cannot stand that mess in the kitchen. Why would he keep doing it if he knows how it makes me feel and how it impacts me and how it deeply affects me? If, if he knows what it does to me, why wouldn't he change? Why wouldn't he fix it? Well, the reason why he he, he not fix because he don't love me like he says he does. He, you know, he, he, he really don't care about my feelings. He don't care about the way that I think. He don't, care, he don't care about me because if he did, he would not let that make me feel this way if she started with the mess. But thank God she starts with me. And she says, I, I know that he loves me. He's just a mess. <laughs> now that doesn't accurately tell us about the relationship between humanity and God. But I just want you to see that when you're talking about evil and pain in the world, s- start with how big your God is. Start with what you know about the character of God before you get to your problem. So I'd agree with Lex Luther that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But I, I, I begin there, but I, I don't stop there. I'll also say that not only is he all-powerful, i also say that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere at the same time. Not only is he everywhere at the same time, but he's not just there watching. The Bible tells us that he's imminent, which means that he's all-powerful everywhere at the same time, and he's right there with me. Which means that while you're going through what you're going through, God does not leave you to go through it by yourself. He walks with you. He talks with you. And he lets you know that he is your own. And the only reason that you are here today is because the omniscient, omnipresent God, the imminent God is with you to this day. People abandon you. Your boo may leave you. Other people may leave you. Your family may abandon you. But God never does. He's with you throughout the entire time. He's omnipresent. He's imminent, He's also omnipresent. Unchanging God is not fickle like humanity. He does not think about you one way and another way the same. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what he's been thinking about you, he's been thinking about you from day one. He loves you just that much. He's also good. May God is good. And I know it doesn't feel like it all the time, but that's because we have a faulty understanding about his goodness. Remember, start with God. You always start with God. Goodness looks like God. And although it doesn't always feel good, I'm telling you, the good God has been keeping you from the very beginning. Not only is he good, man, but he's also, he is not loving. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life but also he didn't stop there he says for God did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world so that all man might have new life through him greater love has no man than this that one would lay down his life for a friend God is love he epitomizes love he is what love is all about and if you want to know how to be loved simply look at how God loves us but also check this out he is righteousness or we've taught you here that's justice as well yeah So when it comes to bad things happening to good people or bad people happening to you, know that your God is a God of justice. And the Bible tells us back in the Old Testament that the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And sometimes rather than wondering how people are going to get it or how things are going to work out, just trust in the justice of God. God will make things right. The people who hurt you. God will make it right. And I ain't saying that God's going to punish them for how they hurt you. I'm saying that he's going to make you right. That it won't matter who they are. It won't matter what they're doing. It won't matter if they change their ways. God will do the work in you that you can be free even though they haven't changed. And I was trying to go through it all. And I was trying to get it all figured out so I could tell you who your God is and I just kept studying and studying. I just wanted to tell you that your God is incomprehensible. I can't, I can't. I'd be up here, man, for, for the rest of our lives trying to describe who he is. Especially into relation in relation to what we see within this world. And the world and people who don't believe, or people who are antagonistic about our God want to try to tell you who our God is. And I'm trying to tell you they don't know him because they haven't tried him. And if you just try our God, you'll see. that when it compares to your God, nothing nothing else compares. I thought about about the great story of Job. And I thought about how Job experienced everything that he had. And in case you don't know about the story of Job, let me give you a little bit, man. A storm literally came through and ravaged Job's life. It's just a a matter of a few short days, man, Job Job lost all ten of his children. And in a matter of just a few short days, Job lost all of his wealth, and he was a very wealthy man. And also within that time period, Job took on a tremendous illness. But the Bible tells us before all of this happened that Job was a righteous man. And that we could search the planet and we won't see anybody who is as good or as righteous as Job. But this righteous man, in just a short period of time, he lost all of his children. He lost all of his wealth. And he lost all of his health in just a short period of time. And you go through, man, the entire story of Job, and you see him dealing with the problems. You see his wife telling him, listen, you ought to just curse God and die. You should just murder yourself, commit suicide, because life's just that hard, and Job won't give up. Job testifies, man, for men came into this world without nothing, and he should leave the same way. Job keeps his faith. This circle of friends didn't understand it, and they say, Job, there has to be something that you did. You cause your own sin to come upon you. Job, this has to be your fault in some way. And Job stands by, and Job tries to continue to testify about his goodness, about how he's sticking with God, and that things just continually get worse, and he don't know why. You make it all the way, man, to chapter 42. And after chapter 42, well, beginning in chapter 38, God has a conversation with Job after he's heard the complaints of his wife and the complaints of his friend. And I love the conversation before God. God asked Job a question. Where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I told the ocean to come this far and don't come much further? Where were you when I hung the stars in their place? And where were you when I made land come up? Where were you when I created the animals and created humanity? Where were you? And after God calls Job to the carpet and he, he puts him down and he tells him about everything he has, shows him his great power and majesty, I love it after that. Job testifies then about God. And Job essentially says this. He says, man, I've been speaking about things that I didn't even comprehend. But now that I see you for myself, now that I see you with my own eyes, I understand just how great you are and just how powerful you are. But what happened before is for 37 chapters, they were complaining about the problems. They were talking about the storms. But in order for God to switch the situation around, rather than just talking about the storms, God told Job who he is. God showed Job his power. God showed Job his might. And God let Job know that storms may come and storms may rise, but your storms are not greater than your God. And I just wanted to encourage you today before we go home to let you know that your God is great. And your God is powerful enough, and he's loving enough for you, and there's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that you can do that would separate you from the love of God that he's here for you. He will be here for you, and he will never change his ways because of whatever lie the world's telling you. And that God, my sisters and my brothers, that God wants to be intimately in your life for the remainder of of your days in this life and the next. That God wants you to trust him unconditionally as we sang earlier. That God wants you to have faith in him when all else seems to not be working. That God wants you to keep holding your head up. That God wants you to trust him in spite of all things. That God wants to be that God for you. Storms happen. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. People abandon. It's not your fault. Is it sin? All of ours. But God's going to redeem. And God's going to restore. Because that's his promise. And he just wants us to hold on. Till he comes. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet.